Today on Security Science, measuring what matters in cybersecurity. Thank you for joining us as we discuss the fourth report in our multi-part dive into the prioritization of prediction research series by Kenna Security and the Scientia Institute. We're doing prioritization of prediction volume four, measuring what matters in remediation. So today I have with me the count of risk-based vulnerability management, Kenna Security's co-founder and CTO, Ed Bellis. How's it going, Ed? Great. Thanks for having me again, Dan. Man, Count Bellis. Okay, so now we need to assign this one to right around Halloween, I'm guessing. Sounds right. For sure. Depending on who you ask, he's either all of the best parts or all of the worst parts of Jay Jacobs. And rumor has it that he is the engineered embodiment of MATLAB in human form. We have with us senior data scientist at the Scienti Institute, Dr. Ben Edwards. How's it going, Ben? Glad to be here. Awesome. Doctor? No, Doctor. Yeah, no, I'd say Dr. Back, but nobody else. Has, has reached hey. my level of achievement. Wow. Did he just pull that out? <laughs> it's Frequently. fine. You can hold that over my head. <laughs> um, as always, you can find any of the materials we're referencing here on our podcast episode page on kennaresearch.com slash podcast. And so we're getting pretty deep into this whole prioritization of prediction series. So I wanted to do a quick summary just for everyone who's keeping track at home. So for um, volume one, we basically proposed a theoretical model to predict which of the thousands of vulnerabilities published each month would most likely be exploited and um, ideally most deserving of priority remediation. So that was P2P volume one. Volume two is getting real about remediation. So we're looking to apply and test that model in the real world. So um, we extracted data from hundreds of production environments and looked across their gamut of like billions of vulnerabilities to see how that model would vet out and what that meant in reality. And then we go into volume three, which was winning the remediation race. So we studied remediation data from hundreds of organizations, and we used a technique called survival analysis to measure how many vulnerabilities can be addressed within a given time frame. So we started to get to, okay, can they tackle as many things as should be prioritized, and now do they have the capacity to do that? And now we're getting into measuring what matters. So I will attribute this to the great Wade Baker, but he opens this with a really nice uh, little chorus from Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. <laughs> so our research questions, what matters in vulnerability management? So what enables some programs to achieve higher levels of performance and greater success than others? Is it what they say, i.e. their policies or how they set things up, or the products and tools with which they play? Does everything hinge on what they do or how they do it, or is it all about what they know or don't know? Or ultimately, is Metallica right, and all that really matters is trusting their team? Wait, is that what Metallica said? I don't remember that part of the song. I'm not singing the whole chorus just because I can't <laughs> sing and we would lose all of our subscribers. So you guys can feel free, but no, I, no I, I'm not that much of a Metallica aficionado, so I'm not going to be able to, to fill you in on that one. That's all uh, Wade Baker. <laughs> so he, I mean, all he really does for the company is the pop culture references. That's, you know, he's, he's pretty good about it. He is good about it. Yeah. He does have a lot of Star Wars swag behind him. It's true. It's he true. adds value. Wade adds value. <laughs> this is very true. Um, 
So, well, what's interesting about this report, and it was kind of an analytical first for us and also Scientia, right? Um, and pretty rare in the cybersecurity industry. So we have a ton of observational data at Kenna Security. So we can see, you know, what people are remediating, um, how quickly they're doing it, how long vulnerabilities are lasting, what people are choosing not to do. Um, and we can see all these rates. And that's what we've been using to generate some of these observational metrics thus far. Um, the hard part, Ed, I think this was actually your idea, um, was trying to figure out what were some of the softer things that resulted in these decisions being made, right? Um, so, you know, how are they structuring their teams? How are they making these prioritization decisions? Were they using Kenna or were they using, you know, CVSS, things like that? And so for this report, we kind of combined some of these soft survey metrics, right? And then the hard observational data that we normally had. So Ed, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately what we're trying to do here is, as you mentioned, right, we've got all this observational data, which tells us when we look at uh, some of the performance metrics from some of the previous volumes, is we kind of understand how people are doing, uh, but we don't understand why, right? So what's, what's behind this? What makes up their vulnerability management program, the tool sets that they're using, the teams, all of these different things? Uh, you know, why are the good people good and the not so good people not so good? And that's kind of what we were trying to set out to do here. And, and I will say, Scientia usually does these observational studies where we're getting data from companies, getting data from Kenna and doing that kind of analysis and, and seeing what the spread is. And that's sort of in contrast to a lot of reports that we see when you pick up an industry report. It is, we surveyed X hundred professionals doing this and this is what they said. And so there is this difference between what people say they're doing, which is oftentimes a little squishy in the feelings and the observational stuff that Scientia usually does. And like you said, this is really cool because there are some of those soft questions that you are hard to get at through the observation, right? Like, um, you know, do you set deadlines for your uh, vulnerability uh, remediation? Um, we don't, you can't necessarily tell that from data. Um, but what we can ask is like, do you set them and do you follow them? And I think we'll probably get into stuff like that later. But so being able to integrate those, asking people about practices that you can't necessarily observe from the data, but then combining that with actual performance like we've done. This is this. So, yeah, this is unique for us. And actually, this one was pretty unique overall. I think I don't think I've seen a, something that has both survey and observational data and links them together. I think that was another interesting part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point because I think anyone who follows uh, cybersecurity industry marketing will understand that there's really no shortage of survey reports that come out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> and one every other week. Just that, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then there's also some really good observational data, right? You guys work on that um, DBIR, right? They're really good at that stuff as well. Um, so there's some good observational insights out there. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think I've seen anyone kind of marry the two. Well, leave it to the godfather of the DBIR to come in and help with marrying the, <laughs> those two types of metrics together. Is it godfather or just father or grandfather? I don't know. That's a good question. <sighs> Highest elder. <laughs> Weird uncle. <laughs> Prophet of the DBIR. He foretold of its success. Um, 
that's Wade Baker for anyone who's just kind of following just along curious. a little bit yeah. here. Yeah, just curious. But uh, I mean, that was a good uh, kind of segue. I did want to jump into the survey methodology that we went through here because that's really important. So I will caveat, um, you know, correlation does not mean causation, which is very, very important thing to state in 2020 um, with, you know, things like flat earth and COVID and all this going on. Yeah. Correlation, not causation. So, you know, Google warriors out there, keep that in mind for everything you do in research and then talk about on Facebook, please. Um, <laughs> and then a quick number on the sample size. So our goal was to get a relatively representative sample of roughly a hundred plus organizations, right? Um, so ultimately, we sent this out to a large base of our customers because that's who we have the observational data for. Um, we ended up receiving 171 total responses, and some of those responses represented people from the same organization. So when that happened, we averaged those responses out for each question, and then um, in those cases, and we ended up with a sample of roughly, well, no, of exactly 103 total organizations that we looked at and compared in this report. So wanted to call that out there um, just so you had a good idea of, you know, what the sample size looked like. And Dan, if I remember correctly, and Ben, you might remember this as well, that represented roughly about a third or to a quarter of what we had of the organizations for the observational metrics portion of it. Yeah, I think a quarter, about a okay. quarter. Yeah. So we're extrapolating a little bit. But there could be some meaningful stuff, and that's why we did it. Um, and then I did want to break out. So we're spending a lot more time setting this one up because we basically, for the rest of the report, apply kind of a similar methodology. So we look at observational metrics that we have, a lot of them that we explain in detail in P2P Volume 1, 2, and 3 and kind of set up. And then we've also talked about it on the previous podcast. So uh, you guys go listen to those if you want some deep dives on what these metrics are. But essentially, we do looked at every single um, question, survey question, under the lens of uh, their coverage, right? So of the vulnerabilities that should be remediated, which ones were their efficiency, so of all the things that people remediated, which ones should have been remediated. We looked at their velocity, so their speed and direction uh, overall for how quickly they remediated vulnerabilities. And we split that by overall, so the entire gamut of vulns, and we also split that by high-risk vulns. And so how we defined high-risk is something that has an exploit developed in the wild, so you should probably go take care of those first. We did the same thing with capacity. So how many vulnerabilities on average can a given organization remediate every month? So rolling 30-day window, and we averaged that out when we talked with Jay over two years. Um, and we also split that by overall and high-risk vulns, again, because that matters, right? So are you being more effective at prioritizing, or are you just really good at knocking out a whole lot of stuff in general? And then we introduced... A very new metric, and so I'll have Ben go into this, but we actually made a composite or overall remediation performance score, um, and it used a principal components analysis. I don't know what that means at any depth because I don't have a PhD, like Ben reminded everyone listening earlier. So, Ben, please explain. Doctor, what? please tell us about PCA. <laughs> I don't think you need a, P a PhD to understand uh, PCA, but um, I beg you know, certainly it helps. Uh, so the idea was... <laughs> that we have all these performance metrics, right? Um, and, and in fact, we have a bunch of 
metrics for velocity. We have several for capacity. Um, there's a bunch of ways that you can measure how quickly something gets remediated. I think in the other reports, we talked about half-life, you know, the time it takes to get halfway there. Um, you can think about like the median time, which is slightly different than half-life. Um, and cause it's looking at all those times and looking about, you know, where halfway in between is. And so, um, the thing is they all kind of sort of measure different things. Uh, they're related to how fast it gets remediated. Um, and so they're all really correlated. See, the idea is if you have a bunch of measures that are similar, uh, but, and, and correlated, but kind of not quite, but a little bit different and you want a single aggregate measure, um, what you want to do is, is do something called dimensionality reduction. So you want to see if there's kind of one number that you can apply to say all these velocity measures that captures that velocity pretty well. And this is where principal components analysis comes in. It, it what it does is it, is it takes the data and there's, gosh, there's like 15 ways to, to explain it. But uh, the one that I hear the most is that it rotates the data in such a way that um, there is like one line that represents all the data the best. It's kind of taking that coordinate system and, and altering it. So all the data line up and then you can take that main coordinate and say, this is the number. Um, so all, all that to say, like, you can look this up, you can plug it into MATLAB or R and actually get the answers out. Um, but it, it, but it takes your data and says like, okay, this first number, um, is the best representation of, of all the data. And it, and it gives you a measure. It accounts like this is, accounts for like 70% of the variation in the data. And so you can get all these kind of different measures and say, ah, here's my one number. And that's mostly right. That's, that's a better single representation than seven. And so the nice thing about this is, is we can look at, ask people questions about their remediation program. And instead of having to say, well, their mean velocity is correlated with whether they have, uh, whether they use CVSS scores, but the median is this and blah, blah. So we can just take one number and we can say, if you use CVSS, you're slower or whatever the outcome happens to be. So those are, that's really this advantage of taking this high dimensional data that's really correlated and squishing it down to a single dimension that we can use. Hey, Ben, did you, for the, the, the PCA analysis, did you take like all the remediation metrics and do PCA of that? Or did you do like all the metrics across the four categories and do one PCA? So we actually did, it was kind of a, a, a sequence of PCA. Um, so we took all the velocity metrics and we say like, okay, we know these are highly correlated. So looking just at velocity, let's get that down to a single velocity value. Capacity, same thing. Um, all, all the other two categories, we'll get them down to a single value. So then we're going to take those four and then we're going to further do another a second PCA and get those down to a final value. And that's the overall remediation score. Because the point is we think that those kind of classes of metrics are, are all related. And of course, they all are also related to each other. Um, but we want to do this in this kind of principled hierarchical way. So we do get down to like one remediation score, uh, but we also have these subcomponents on uh, each of the four velocity uh, capacity and then coverage and, and efficiency are on their own, right? Those are already single numbers. And so, you know, we, we get the, instead of having everything into one bucket, we kind of take them into their own uh, metric categories, build our single metric, and then put them down into this one final value. And so then we can also make general statements about, okay, if we're talking about velocity, uh, this is what's good for velocity overall. 
and you know, or you know, this is this is what's correlated with your overall performance, which includes velocity, capacity, rest rate. And it provides a reference point to be able to start to compare overall performance of different organizations, totally. different strategies. Yeah. And then it kind of, um, I was looking at figure five in the report and the distribution forms this kind of nice bell curve, right? And that's typical. That's what you want to see when you're trying to build out scores like this, right? Or metrics uh, and, like this. And not just what you want to see, but it's also um, if, if all the conditions of the data going into the analysis are correct, that's what you should see. Um, so if it looks different, if it looks weird, and it's not kind of a nice normal bell curve, then something has gone wrong. Got it. Everyone's at one percent. We might want to take a look at it. Right. You might want to, you want yeah. to think about that. Um, and the the way that you have to do this too is a lot of our scores. Um, you know, some organizations take orders of magnitude longer to fix things than others, for example. And so we have to think about, okay, if we just shut, put it in the PCA with that really long tail, it's not going to work out right. So we have to do some transformation, uh, massaging the data, not changing it, but but making it amenable to the algorithm uh, before we feed it in. Uh, the other, the nice thing about that normal curve then is people get that, right? So like, credit scores are normal curves and SAT scores are normal curves. So we kind of say, you know, you're in this percentile. Um, they, they get the idea of what that means, right? And especially because the output of PCA is kind of, it doesn't really have a unit. It doesn't have, a, it's not like a, a mile or a second or whatever. It's this unitless number. Um, and so we can talk about those percentiles though, like where you are on that score. And that is an easy way to communicate. Makes perfect sense. And I, just so I can call out if people aren't following along, figure five, it shows this uh, distribution curve and the majority, right, of the, the tall part of the bell lies somewhere between the 50 and roughly 75% quartiles, I guess, there, um, which makes sense for it to be in that middle section right, for the, the most right, part. The, the middle is between, you know, the 25th and 75th percentile. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And that's why he has a PhD. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Well, okay. Now that we got that out of the way, so we're going to be judging basically all of these self-reported survey metrics based off of each one of these observational metrics. And that rinse and repeat. So uh, buckle your seatbelt as we get into that section. But first, I wanted, uh, Ed, just some of the self-reported or survey-based metrics that we looked at. And then if anything stands out to you as to you know why we, we wanted to ask those questions. So note, you know, we thought that these were factors that could have correlated in better and or worse performance. And so that's why we asked these questions. Definitely not all encompassing. We knew that going into this, we were trying to figure out the best stuff and then we can kind of go from there <laughs> on our future reports. But um, yeah, this probably isn't, you know, the end all be all, but it was a very good start, I think so. Yeah, no, in fact, uh, like I feel like every volume of this report in this series, uh, it ended up we would get a bunch of answers back and think, oh, I wish I would have asked this question or I had these five follow-up questions that I would like to ask now. <laughs> so we're, we're always kind of in that perpetual state of, oh, we're, we've learned a little bit more, but now I have more questions. Um, you know, we kind of covered uh, a bunch of different areas of a vulnerability management program um, across the board just to like you said, right, we want to figure out here's some hunches we have about things that we think might make you better at capacity or better at velocity or, you know, better at coverage or whatever the case might be. Um, and they covered big categories, big, 
broad range, soft, squishy categories like your, you know, vulnerability management maturity versus, you know, are the majority of your assets on premise? Are they in the cloud? Uh, we looked at things like uh, uh, coverage of, of tool sets, right? How much of that are you actually using Kenna for versus other things? How are you prioritizing those vulnerabilities that, uh, that you're remediating, right? What's the you know, big surprise here is uh, budget, right? How much money and, uh, and funding do you have that go, that go behind this? And does that really matter? Uh, you know, go ahead and shocked the world with everybody and said, yeah, that, that does matter. And actually people with, <laughs> with, with the larger budgets did better in general. Um, team structure. Um, there were some things in here that actually kind of surprised me, but then thought, well, actually, if I would have asked these three follow-up questions, I, I might've learned a little bit more like team structure. You know, it doesn't, it's not intuitive to me that more teams uh, involved in the vulnerability management process actually means that you'll be faster or that you'll have more capacity because uh, I think complexity comes with more teams as well. Um, but then you start to st take a step back and say, oh, well, actually, you could have had a single team that's responsible for vulnerability assessment and remediation, which meant that you probably had some team that managed multiple hats, right? They were both operations and security, which meant, you know, they had a lot of different things going on uh, within their environment. And, you know, security was just one piece of the thing that they had to do, right? So then things got pushed out. So then started to make a little bit more sense, at least in my mind. But now I've got a bunch of follow-up questions there. Um, we talked about SLAs and deadlines and do you have them and how structured they are. Uh, we looked at things like complexity around remediation, how many people were involved, not just multiple teams, but just how how many people does it take to actually remediate a vulnerability in, in any given environment? And then, you know, what's the tooling uh, assets patch versus automated tools? Do you have patch management systems in place? How broadly were they used? Were they in the data center, in the cloud, in office? Did it cover multiple platforms? All of that sort of thing as well. Awesome. So a lot of questions that we had there. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. So now we're going to go through the fun part of actually telling you whether each one of those mattered or not. And we're going to go through one by one. We're going to give you a statistic and a p-value. And you just have to remember, this is what you have to do. It's going to be super exciting. I think, what do we have? One, two, three. So like 60 of them. So just we'll count them off. and It'll be super fun. Yeah, we we do these swarm swarm plots, right? It was amazing. They've got lots of pretty colors and dots. Uh, now, ultimately, we're going to go through and just tell you um, kind of the overall distribution. So, what were some of just the in and of itself survey responses, and then whether or not that mattered um, ultimately. And what's cool with these overall scores and some of these other observational metrics, um, we can say, yeah. Yeah, they did or did not for some reason. Uh, <laughs> the reason we may not know exactly, so we'll we'll call that out. But we're kicking things off with uh, one of the big ones actually right out of the gate was VM um, vulnerability management program maturity. So remember, this is self-reported. So we're asking, you know, semantic differential scales like one, you know, we're not, we're not very good. Five, we're super mature. We have a really mature program, um, and overall for self-assessment. Most people think that they're either average or really, really good at vulnerability management. They think they're very mature programs. Right. And, and I think this one was, was pretty interesting just because um, when you ask the kind of leveled question of like, hey, how do you feel like you're doing? Um, most people give that kind of average answer, 
right? Yep. Um, and it's it's sort of interesting that there was lots of this like superlative. You work great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but I, I think the best result, the best result out of this question is it's actually pretty well correlated with your your actual assessment. Um, so it's like know thyself, right? So most companies, uh, their VM program, they know themselves really well, and so they they are there is a correlation between your rating and all the metrics that we have that we you know created that one measure for all of them it works actually that was one of my biggest surprises to be honest that, that how well that correlated and i was like really you 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 know either you know that you're good or you know that you're not good or you know that your average is i mean there were some that were that were off no no doubt about that right right um, I, and i think like the the worst scoring organization um it said, oh, yeah, we're the best. We're great. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not it's a correlation and there's noise. So it's not perfect. But for the most part, if you think you're doing OK, you're doing OK. If you think you're doing bad, you're doing bad. So, yeah. And this was uh, the strongest, I think, indicator out of all of the survey questions. Right. And so just to level set um, out of the respondents, what, 40, 76 percent mark that they were either average or above average in maturity, right? Their program, their program's maturity level. So 40% average, 36% marked above average, and 8% marked that they were in the top 10%. And you know what? As far as we wow. can tell, they very well could be, right? There were some outliers. Yeah. But it, it was interesting because uh, the people were very honest, as I think Wade points out, right? Because um, many surveys, 80% of people, if you ask them to be like, how good are you at things, right? 80% will be like, I'm in the top 10%. Uh, that's how I would answer, right? Um, in this one, it was only 8%, right? So um, they were very honest with themselves. And it seemed to have a correlation to almost everything positive across the board that we were looking at. Self-awareness is a great thing. Yeah, yeah. Strong correlation <laughs> yeah. to velocity, both high risk and overall. Um, very strong to capacity and high risk volumes particularly, but both capacity metrics, right? Um, they had a decent relationship to coverage and also a decent overall score, right? That's, wow. Mm -hmm. How did we open with that? That's the end of the podcast. We're over. We're, we're <laughs> going to jump to That's the end. So yeah, just, a self, just do a self-assessment in your program. You're finished. How, <laughs> how do you feel you are? There yeah. you go. Be honest. <laughs> Any other uh Notable uh, highlights from this one before we jump to the next from many of you guys. No, I mean, to, like like I said, the, 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 it was remarkably uh, self-aware of those folks to answer the way they did. I mean, we might want to say that the one that it did not correlate with uh, at a statistically significant level uh, was efficiency. Yeah. So, um, like, are, are you not wasting any time on things that aren't being exploited in the wild, right? That's our efficiency metric um, is not correlated with how mature your program is. Um, and so that may be VM programs are a little uh, conservative. So they're, they want to do more stuff than they have to potentially. And so even if you have like a good process and all this stuff, you're maybe focusing on things you don't have to. That's that was the only thing that that wasn't correlated. That's a great point. And we actually covered that a little bit before where we talk a lot about coverage and efficiency. And one of the things that we often see actually are is, is, is immature programs start off 
focused on efficiency. When they first move into the, you know, I got to get it out of the business of counting volumes and just start moving towards risk. They start with efficiency because they want to make sure that everything that they do matters and they, they get some meaningful progress under their belts. And then as they mature and they start to grow, they start to move more towards coverage, right? Which I think, it, you know, speaks to a lot, both of the VM maturity, right? So as you can see here, it's, there wasn't a big correlation with efficiency or any correlation with efficiency, but there was with coverage and, and all of the other metrics, right? And, and I think we see that on a, a lot really across our customers too. Oh, yeah. We're talking about the maturity models. And I mean, that could be, well, it likely is a biased result because they're all kind of customers as well, right? There's, yeah, there's bias in this data set for sure. <laughs> for sure, right? So yeah. observationally, you know, what we've seen with like uh, our work with our customers and all that good stuff, Ted's point is, you know, you start, you're excited, you want bang for the buck. You're going after the big stuff and you're being highly efficient. And then you get to kind of a steady state, right? Like, we're good. We knock out all the really big priority uh, risks and patch these vulns relatively quickly. The stuff we can. Um, we have strong SLAs and we can manage this day to day, right? We're we're gaining ground versus treading water, which we've covered in the last report actually. Um, and now we can get to okay. What are our secondaries, right? What what else should we look at? How do we start managing an acceptable level of risk overall? And we know you know we have our rapid response in check. We can knock this stuff out. So that's actually pretty cool. I haven't thought about that looking at this data set ever. So nice. Thanks for calling that out, Ben. So next section, assets under management. Well, I I hate to talk about this one because it sounds like a self-promo when I talk about it. So I always make <laughs> yeah. Dr. Ben and Dr. Wade and all of those folks talk about this. Uh, so... <laughs> I mean, the, the the upshot, though, of this one really is if you have your assets covered by a can of product, all shill for you, Ed, then <laughs> you're going to fix stuff faster. That's yeah. it, right? Yeah. So if, if you have that wonderful can of system that can go out there and discover where these vulns are and make you aware of them, you're going to fix them faster and provide you all the information you need about them. Yeah. And obviously, so these are all Kenna customers, right? So they're going to have some portion of, of the those assets under Kenna, and the, the more the better in this particular case. But what we're really saying is, is you have like a structured system to, uh, you know, kind of pull in all of your assets or cover as many of your assets and as many of your vulnerabilities as possible. And you put them through the same rigorous kind of prioritization process as when it comes to risk. And the more you do that, the better off they were, right? And I will say the way we, we phrase this question is what percentage of your assets are covered by Kenna, right? So what, what percentage of them um, are you actually using that? And the more that you had, the faster things are. Um, and so we ask later kind of, do you take Kenna's expert advice as your, uh, as a priority? And we'll, we can talk about that in a little bit, but you know, this was a Kenna report, so we better ask these things. Um, I do think it's funny that there were some customers who answered, you know, how many, what percentage of your assets are covered by Kenna? And they were like, mm, 10% or less. Yeah, nothing. Or, Almost. you know, like, wh why are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, fine. Like, give them money so they can give us money. But, um, like, I, <laughs> Thanks I for taking know. our survey. Yeah, right. Do you know Thanks who we are? Thanks for taking our survey. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of it was curiosity too on our part because I remember we were trying to 
you know, we, we went over, do we want to ask the survey question, right? Because survey question, we're trying to keep it as short as we could while getting the data that we needed. Um, but yeah, I think it helped us understand like what proportion can we even see, right? Um, and that was part of it as well, right? Because we can't necessarily track uh, uh, some of the remediation if they weren't using it. Right, so that right. could limit the sample set, and so we we use that as well to give us a a nice litmus test on hey, is this data even representative of you know their grander environments? Which it looks like it is, right? Most of them, greater than seventy five percent, forty four percent, all of their assets, another twenty percent. So by far the two largest categories, and represented the mass, <laughs> the the overall uh, number of um, respondents said, yep, most of the stuff. 50% or more. Yep. Um, but then we also were interested to see um, assets that were hosted on-premise versus in the cloud. And um, we actually talked about this, Ed, with uh, uh, Weisopel and uh, Jeremiah. Uh, yep. Jeremiah Grossman the other day of, uh, yeah, whether Jeremiah's research on whether companies were actually moving to the cloud. And he was like, nah, not really. Um, and that's kind of what we see here as well, right? Um, almost none. Right, twenty less than twenty five percent or none represented what seventy seven percent of responses. Yep, yep, absolutely. And then we see a lot of the same thing. And and then the question, yeah, I think that Jeremiah and Chris and I were talking about was, you know, how much of it is migrating, a la kind of lift and shift from on prem to the cloud versus just adding to in the cloud. And I think that, you know, certainly from that conversation, it was a lot more of, oh, they're just adding more in the cloud, but the stuff on premise isn't going away. And and we definitely see that here. Yeah, absolutely. So Ben, does this matter? No. No. Um, I mean, it <laughs> I is, mean, this short is short answer. This is one of the weaker correlations actually. Um, and it, it does seem that the, the more stuff that's in the cloud, there is kind of, uh, faster. It's you, you do remediate those things faster. Uh, it's a pretty weak correlation on this one. Um, but maybe there's some indication there. Um, yeah. Well, Ed, was that surprising to you? Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. So that was surprising to me. I figured, uh, for those that did have a, a large percentage in the cloud that there would be a strong correlation to certainly speed, uh, velocity, maybe capacity as well. Uh, I, I suspect, you know, efficiency and, and coverage, maybe not, maybe it's the same. Um, but I always think of, you know, whether it be immutable infrastructure in the cloud, right? No, oh, yeah, we don't remediate vulnerabilities. We just turn up a new box and turn that one down. Um, you would think it would lend itself a lot more certainly to velocity, if nothing else. Yeah, because they're just Xing out all those vulns just disappeared when they turned it off, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I thought it was pretty interesting as well. Um, the next section we move into is more of the organizational structure slash factors. So um, we looked at, and this was one of the few that actually wasn't a semantic differential. We just asked them how many people participated in remediation. So we're trying to see how complex it was. And um, we had a pretty wide range of answers. Um, but, <laughs> Understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> most were concentrated in 10 or fewer. We did have some that literally said 5,000 people participated. So it's there's some questions. everybody's job. And I think, yeah, I think that's <laughs> yeah. the point. Somebody taking the survey is, well, remediation is everybody's job, right? You should be clicking update on your computer. We do full corporate training. And yeah, yeah. Not, not terribly helpful, but um, 
I guess, true for maybe that organization. Well, is there any takeaways about how this came, uh, where the numbers settled on this one? I mean, it looks like you've got a decent chunk of people, at least a team um, of people for the most part working on remediation, right? Um, actually patching the stuff, identifying vulnerabilities, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that to me was not a surprise at all, other than the it was everybody's jobs response. Uh, you know, I think the distribution here and where people fell in terms of the amount of participants was not surprising at all. Yeah. Well, and especially as we go into the next organizational factor, which was, you know, who handles discovery and remediation of vulnerabilities. So we're trying to figure out how, so, you know, now we know how many people roughly were involved. We're trying to figure out how are they structured. Um, and so the question here was, you know, you have an external group, um, different team, same leader, one internal team that handles it all or different teams and separate organizations, right? And so this also helped us uh, look from a complexity standpoint combined with number of people, but also how their teams are roughly structured um, internally. And so I, I doubt anyone knew this, but I read that from least to most. Mm-hmm. And I did that not on purpose at all. So that's kind of funny. But um, <laughs> uh, the vast majority were different teams, separate organizations at 52%, then followed with one internal team at 25%, and then different teams, same leader at 21%. So, And this is one of those questions where I would have a follow-up question to it as, as well, right? Because then you, you get into the interpretation of what is an org, right? How far up the tree did they go in order to say you were in the same org or a different org, right? Because theoretically, somebody could say, well, we're all under the same CEO and therefore we're all in the same org. Or yeah. they could have said, you know, oh, well, we've, we've got two different team leads. So we're in two different orgs. So Yeah. And this is certainly one of the ones that's a, a challenge when you're writing surveys, Yes. Right. So making good surveys is hard and asking about something as complex as what's the shape of your or, or your vulnerability management team. That's, I mean, a lot of different options, a lot of different ways to ask it. You know, we focused on these four, but, and there, and we actually focus a little later on just two, right. Is, is it broken up at all? Or is it just kind of one thing? Um, but yeah, like, you know, as I'd said, there's a di- bunch of different ways you can organize people. Um, and it's hard to survey people about that. Well, Ed, is do you have any uh, takeaway? Like, is that different teams, same org? Was that surprising to you being the lead result? Like, is this as, did the numbers come out as you would have expected when we were asking the question? Well, I think it was different teams, separate orgs was was the highest result, right? So, no, that doesn't surprise me. So when I think about it and what I think is probably going to be the most common answer when it comes to discovery and remediation, right, is discovery is often the vulnerability management team, which sits somewhere under the security org. And then the remediation, which is typically somewhere in the operations org, the technical operations org. And I think of those as two different orgs and two different teams, right? So in that case, no, it doesn't surprise me that the majority of, of the folks that responded and and that's the way I would have interpreted it as well. Makes perfect sense. And so before we jump into the fun thing of budget, which actually is kind of anticlimactic, uh, <laughs> we get into uh, this kind of VM team structure actually was one of the stronger performing survey indicators as well, right? Um, so when we look at VM team structure, um, it had a pretty decent correlation to overall velocity, um, slightly weaker on high risk velocity, 
relatively strong capacity overall, again, a little bit weaker on the high risk. And then it also yielded um, a pretty strong overall composite score as well. And I think even if you want to get into the weeds a little bit, so for the organizations that have separate, you know, the, the discovery and the handling are separate, it's about 45 days faster um, for that mean time to remediation. Um, and so that, that's, I mean, a month and a half is a long time for, for bones to be sitting out there on the network. Um, and so that, that is, I think that was one of the ones that was kind of big and you look in the report and because the scales are so wide for a lot of these orgs, it doesn't look that big, but you do the math and you're like, wow, you know, 45 days is a lot. It is. And, and, and this is one of those ones where at first I was surprised and then I sat down and thought about it for a while and then I was less surprised, right? That was, you know, goes back to the fact that w- multiple orgs working on the same thing, it feels like there's going to be complexity there. There's going to be a lot of process that slows things down there. They're not going to be as fast. But then you think about it and, you know, turn it on its head like we were talking about earlier. We said, well, actually, if it's the same org or the same team that's both assessing your vulnerabilities and then actually going out and fixing your vulnerabilities, chances are it's probably some ops team that just happens to be doing vulnerability scanning as well. Right. And it's, again, one of 50 jobs that they have to do. So eventually they're going to get to it and that's going to slow them down. Yeah, it's very, very interesting and quite surprising to me. Actually, I did not anticipate that just thinking through when we were originally working on this stuff but uh we'll jump into uh the the fun one that i'm sure everyone wants to hear about is uh budget so (laughs) when we asked uh whether uh their vm budget was unknown which three percent had no idea i guess um which is relatively low that's good for us uh but the measures were inadequate less than ideal about right and excessive so there's your semantic differential right and when we look at it, I was actually surprised. So 3% actually said that their budget was excessive, which I would think no one would do that ever. Um, maybe someone thinks their boss gets Some paid too much. Some poor ops person um, who's just stuck <laughs> patching a bunch of vulnerabilities. All day, every day. And they're like, oh. how can you afford this? Um, <laughs> Uh, and then there's the, I, this is what surprised me. So 47% of responses said that their budget was about right. And if I know anything from budgeting, that's a no-no, right? You're like, no, we could always use more, always use more. But um, well, fortunately for them, Ken is not responsible for their budget. So. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're 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 responding to the survey, uh, yep. not to their boss. Absolutely. <laughs> right. We probably would have gotten a different answer of like, what, and everything what was anonymized, so there's no way for us to go tell their boss that either. Right. Nor would we right. want to. So. Right. <laughs> Um, so 39% said it was less than ideal. Um, and then 9% said inadequate. So, I mean, I thought it was pretty surprising. I I don't know if Ed or Ben, you guys have any thoughts on the budget question. I I mean, the distribution, I don't think is totally off. Uh, just because again, people kind of answer to the middle. And if you ask them, you know, like, are you getting your job done? Do you have enough money to get your job done? I think most people are going to say, yeah, or we could use a little bit more. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think it's only the people who are in dire straits are going to say, no, it's terrible. Or, you know, we have way too much money. I think that's, that's unsurprising that that's a rarity. Yeah, that, I agree. I, what we've took a lot of the survey data to correlate it against uh, the more of the observation metrics that we've been talking about. But I would love to kind of see the comparison of the surveys between 
how mature they thought their VM program was and how their budget, how they felt their budget was. Because I feel like there would probably be a lot of correlation that, hey, we have a really mature VM program. And by the way, I've got a pretty adequate VM budget versus, you know, the other ends of the spectrum. Plus, I've got that 5,000 people on our remediation <laughs> discovery right. team. Well, they've, they've got, a, they've got an <laughs> excessive budget, I think. <laughs> that was that 3%. Um, and I mean, kind of a womp womp, but it, out of all the other factors, VM budget mm, showed some correlation to velocity overall and high risk, but that was about it. Right. Right. So there's some evidence that having an adequate budget and or excessive budget, I guess, help you do things faster, but nothing that indicates helps you get overall greater capacity, efficiency, or coverage. Yep. Is that surprising at all? No. No. <laughs> no. I, I didn't think so either. Yeah. Non-event. I mean, you know, you have budget, you probably have enough people that you've hired, and so you're going to be able to get to things a little bit quicker. I I mean, this is maybe one of the more straightforward answers, right? It, it really was, yeah. I, I was hoping for something like kind of sexy to go talk to everyone about, but it really, really wasn't. Like, yeah, you probably got enough to go do what you need to do. Yeah. You'd probably be more efficient doing other things or maybe putting the budget towards different things, but about it. So, <laughs> um, uh, so the next, we start to look at what are some of the factors that companies are using to actually prioritize and or make the decisions on what to do, right? Um, so the first question was setting SLAs or remediation deadlines. So um, I think the question here was, you know, do you guys set remediation deadlines, right? And the responses could be unknown, non-existent or ad hoc. Um, they define some SLAs, but they're loosely followed, and then they're defined and rigidly followed. Yep, yep. And one of the things that was interesting, and I'm sure Ben will talk about the results here uh, as, it, as it comes to speed and velocity, having an SLA definitely mattered. Uh, following it rigidly, not so much, or at least no correlation there. <laughs> right, so th there was this split because like, if you define them, you tend to go a little bit faster, but what you set them to doesn't seem to matter. So um, we asked them. Security theater? Is that what right, that's called? Like, what's your SLA for like high priority things? What's your normal SLA? And and we tried to do a correlation between that and the actual time they were or the percentage of ones that they were getting below their their said SLA didn't matter. It, there's just no correlation. So, um, you know, it's the power of positive thinking set that SLA, think you have a deadline, you'll go a little bit faster, but you're going to, you know, it's it's not where you said it doesn't matter. Yeah, so make it seem like there's some accountability that <laughs> yeah. will be, people will be held to. Um, right. Yeah, I feel like there's like the, just that big binary jump, right? Just going from, eh, whatever, we'll fix them when we get to them to, you must fix them. <laughs> that yeah. gets you a lot of the way there, right? And then all of the intricacies and how, you know, everything that you put into that and how, how tightly you follow that and how quick your SLAs are and things like that. It's like, ah, that's, that's too much to think about. I will fix this though. I absolutely will fix this. <laughs> well, and just to level set. So it, it correlated to overall velocity, high risk velocity, overall capacity and to a slightly lesser extent, uh, high risk capacity. So four, well, I two, 
two and splits, different critical measures, right? And so is this the equivalent of teachers doing the tests where they're like, you read the entire test and the last question on the test is, you know, you don't have to don't fill out, you know, yeah, put your name on this and turn it in basically. So they're like, hey, you must remediate in 187,000 days, right? Um, it, it really wouldn't matter as far as we could tell. Well, I think maybe it's probably more reflective of you've thought about this and the organization has sat down and said, hey, some of these things need to get done faster than others. And we should have some concrete metrics for how we measure whether we're getting things done or not. And so let's just set a date. Um, and and that that's maturity of the program. That's the program saying this is important enough that we need some concrete numbers around it. And so they do. So that's probably what it's a reflection of is that they've sat down and thought about this deeply enough that they, that they do better. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and it makes sense too that they're going to do a little bit better in the high risk velocity and, and capacity and things like that. Cause theoretically they're probably putting in the things that they put into the SLA are if, if they start anywhere with an SLA, it's with the high risk stuff right now, how they define high risk versus what we defined high risk here might have differed slightly, which is why you might not see a totally uh, a complete correlation there. Right. Because, again, we talk about high risk. We say it's it's a vulnerability that either has been exploited in the wild or has uh, an exploit for it. Yeah. Well, and we broke it down, too, to look at some of the time frames, like you said, Ben, between highest priority, high priority, and moderate, right? And you can actually see the distribution. So people roughly are setting relatively quick and or <laughs> slower uh, remediation SLAs based off of where they judge those priorities, right? Whether the highest or, you know, not so high, right? And it, from what we can tell, it, it, it works, right? So they, they are putting that kind of effort into their programs, ultimately. And I would add that while we do this in the product, we didn't really ask this in the survey or, or in this research, which is, uh, you know, SLAs matter not only for the vulnerability, it also matters for the asset, right? What is this asset that this vulnerability affects, right? Because some of them, Ooh. I, I don't care as Tease much about, for the frankly. next report. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm setting you up, Mellinger. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we'll get into that one. That's that's a fun one as well. Um, well, I mean, so jumping down as we look at some of the prioritization factors, right? Now we look at the criteria itself. So um, self-servingly, right, is Kenna, is the Kenna risk score a priority? Um, we looked at whether CVSS was their priority, right? The leading factor that they use for remediation. Um, and then add to your point just now, right? Is it the asset itself, right? It's, you know, Ed's laptop, so we don't care about it. We're not going to patch it. But Ben's laptop, we might want to, you know, knock out immediately, right? Um, and then uh, some of the compliance, PhD, right? Mm. <laughs> it My also, laptop even yeah, gets, Ben's yeah, laptop is smarter than me, or at least more educated. Um, <laughs> um, and then we also looked at compliance, right? So we wanted to see because a lot of companies structure their VM programs around, you know, PCIe things like that, right? Um, so did that have an impact overall? So first one, yeah. Right, interestingly, like only two of them, and I'll jump in as the non-Kenna employee here. Um, <laughs> only two of them, Kenna and CVSS, were notable in a way that we'd want to talk about them in the report. Um, and, you know, both in the direction that validates our worldview. Um, so one thing that's interesting is, 
I God, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember what percentage, but some percentage of, of survey respondents said, eh, Kenna's not, we don't really take their information into account. Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting. Again, you're paying for this product. <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose they, they, they may be paying for the uh, discovery and aggregation and all the wonderful things that your product does um, and not necessarily caring quite as much about the score. They should. Um, but uh, it's interesting that the ones that do, do things faster. Right. They have a better half-life. Um, and so that is that is certainly something that that we like to see in there. And then the other one, CVSS not being a priority, um, they also have better half-life. Um, yeah. <laughs> or to put it the other way, prioritizing using CVSS, which I just thought it was crazy, is one of the three um, I guess survey questions where it correlated negatively. Right. Right. Um, which, uh, you know, we talked on the EPSS episode about the, some of the failings of CVSS. Sorry, Sasha. Uh, and this just goes to show you that, um, it slows you down. CVSS is a drag. It literally velocity <laughs> slows down. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, taking my kind of hat off and just thinking about, you know, CVSS in, in general, right? And and I could see where it would be a drag simply because you're just trying to push more things through the pipe, right? I mean, if you're prioritizing via CVSS versus Kenna or other methods, right, just CVSS in general, then you have a lot at the top, right? There's a lot of stuff that you're being told that you have to fix based on the distribution of CVSS in general. Um, so pushing more things through means, frankly, there's going to be a lot of things that are slower, right? There's only, because it goes back to capacity, there's only so much I can yeah. fix, right? So uh, I'm going to fix some of them and then the other ones are going to be delayed and they're going to be slower to, to actually remediate. Yeah, and I will shill for us a little bit because, I mean, part of us doing all of this is to figure out, like, are we, you know, providing, like, value, right? Does this work? Um, which, you know, we're trying to validate working with Scientia and all these guys. But when you choose Kenna as a priority, your vulnerability half-life overall, right, lower is better, 68 and a half days roughly. Um, and for those who said that we're not a priority, it was 114 days that's a significant difference, right? That's like a 40% delta, um, which, I mean, that just makes me feel good because we're actually, you know, we are helping people. <laughs> I right. think there's a lot of like the whole cybersecurity, you know, snake oil and theater and all that. As much as it is, like we can actually, again, correlation does not mean causation, but we we correlate to a positive improvement. And it's actually, I mean, the velocity overall and for high risk is one of the most statistically significant correlations in this entire piece outside of the v VM maturity rating. Isn't that like an old SNL skit from a long time ago? Uh, I'm, and God darn it, people like me. Yeah. <laughs> I am good. It works. I, it works. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> what is it? It's, uh, I feel like that's uh, the, your former Minnesota senator. SNL, um, uh, Richard Smalley? No. no. Um, yeah. Don't you live in Minnesota? I, I have only lived here for uh, a little over a year, so you can't, oh. like, you know. Oh, right. fair, fair enough. He was not, he has not been a senator he, since. Okay, he, well, you you need Al to. Al Franken uh, is who you're thinking that's, of. That's it. Okay. Well, you need to send me a link so I can add it to the, the show page as a resource now. Al Franken resource. <laughs> um, 
so it's just interesting as well because prioritization really matters um, across the different ways that we looked at it and in the worst way possible in a lot of ways, right? So if you look at asset as a priority, right, um, that seems to have a, a slight correlation to reduce capacity overall. And then compliance as well, right, um, which compliance right now, a lot of them are based off of things like CVSS, but the correlation isn't the same as CVSS. So um, it reduces their overall coverage. So that means they're doing a a lot of work probably, but not hitting the right things, unfortunately, if you're using po- compliance as your primary uh, vulnerability um, uh, prioritization scheme. So a- anything surprising about any of that? Uh, I just thought it was interesting that almost all of the negative correlations minus one all resided in how you prioritize. In the words of Dr. Ben Edwards, no. Yeah. I, I guess that's why you kind of created the company, right? And you're like, this should matter. This is probably the big thing to worry about. Let's try to tackle that. So I guess that makes sense. Um, and then the next piece we went into, so we kind of looked at you know, how companies think about themselves, where their assets are hosted and how they're kind of covered, all that good stuff, um, how many people, you know, organizational factors. And now we look at some of the softer things as well, right? So process complexity. Um, so we asked people, you know, to rate from, you know, one to five, very simple or very complex. How would they rate the remediation process? Um, and it looks like uh, that actually came out in a nice bell curve in and of itself from a response rate standpoint. Is that expected? I mean, I, I think so, because, again, this is a very squishy question. Like, how complex is this process? Um, and without giving them any prompts about what complexity means. And so I, I think people will say, well, you know, it's not just click one button and I'm done, but it's also not, you know, a huge thing to deploy a patch or, 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 or organize these things. And I have Kenna. And so thing that makes things easier. So three, right. So there is this yeah. kind of nice peak around yeah. the middle value. Like, um, yeah. We're, we're middle. Now, the thing that you worry about, though, is when you ask that question, everybody kind of picks the middle, um, is that it's not going to reflect very well on your other measures, right? So um, that there there isn't a lot of information, which turns out was not the case here. Um, and, and I think that's reasonable that the middle answer is probably the most common one, um, not just because people are picking the middle, but because the process is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, 49% uh, picked right dead center option three in out of, you know, five, just so everyone knows. Um, so almost exactly half, right? And Ed, you were going to say something? Yeah, but how it affected some things like velocity and coverage were a bit more surprising to me. <laughs> ah, go so, over it. Yeah, so, I mean, we looked at uh, complexity of remediation and, and things like, Coverage, it, it does, it made sense. You know, the simple processes meant that they were able to remediate more of the important vulnerabilities or the high risk vulnerabilities. Um, but they were slower if they had a simple process. Uh, significantly, certainly when it came to mean time to remediate, it was a difference between complex processes uh, came in around 61 days where simple processes came in at almost 99 days, which is a, a big difference. And a surprising one. Why would that be? I honestly have no clue. I guess this, <laughs> this demands a follow up, Ben. 
Start writing more questions. I I think it makes a, well, yeah. So the next survey we designed for you, (laughs) the speed thing does seem kind of counterintuitive. You'd think a complex process, more things could go wrong. Um, It's possible that the process is complex because it's well thought out and, and well tested. And so, yes, there's a lot of steps. Yes, there's a lot of checkboxes. Uh, but they're all in the service of, of doing things efficiently and, and and looking for all the corner cases. So even though there's a complex process, it may be complex for a reason and and it's improving your performance. Yeah. I mean, uh, another way to think about this is it's complex because there's a prioritization process, which we've talked about earlier, and that matters. It's complex because there's multiple teams and multiple orgs involved in it. So that makes it more complex. But these are all things that have also had, as we saw earlier, you know, positive correlation on velocity. Hmm. So if uh, they have a complex process, it seems like chances are that they've actually thought that through and people know what their roles are, what the steps they need to take are, and can actually do so ultimately at a faster rate overall. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Okay. We should ask some extra questions next time. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, And I think, uh, yeah, the last kind of section that we looked at was the deployment methods, right? Um, so how do they deploy system updates? Were they automatic? Um, were they under some kind of patch management tool? Um, was it a manual process? Um, to do so, right? And so uh, just to spoil things real quick, assets covered by some form of patch management tool was probably, what, the second highest maybe? Tied for best, <laughs> one of the best uh, correlating factors, right? And so overall, it had a relatively strong correlation to capacity, both overall and high-risk volumes. Um, they actually had a strong, a relatively strong correlation positively to coverage. Um, also efficiency, which is kind of crazy, right? Because almost nothing actually balances those two. And they were both kind of strong, but kind of slight um, at the same time, which is not a very precise way of describing that. And then overall um, performance as well had a decently strong correlation. So uh, I just think this is probably the least un- the least surprising one, right? Because this is the value proposition of having any kind of vulnerability management toolkit is that if you have something that's helping you tracking what assets are vulnerable to what, you're going to be better at, at, at fixing them, right? So if everything's just out there in the ether and you're kind of doing stuff manually and trusting Windows Update to do its thing, yeah, of course, it's going to be a problem. Um, but, you know, if you take that initiative, you have a lot of your assets under management, of course, everything's going to be better. You have information. Yeah. Right? And and in the automation, I think a lot of this was around the patch management and things like that and the automation of patches, which it totally makes sense that that's going to help velocity. That's going to help coverage. I think I'm guessing it helps efficiency only because we were smart enough when we looked at efficiency to do it by patch and not by vulnerability. Um, so meaning that if I pushed out a patch and it fixed 10 vulnerabilities and one of those was high risk, we counted that as uh, an efficient thing to do, right? Um, even though there were nine vulnerabilities that you fixed that maybe meant nothing. Got it. Well, and then on the converse, right? Assets covered by manual patching had, was again, one of the few other negative correlations and they correlated again, exact opposite to, uh, negative coverage and negative efficiency and makes um, total sense yeah 
which was actually interesting because we don't often see necessarily the opposite correlation, right, when we were looking at some of these other assets. But Ed, what were some of the um, tools that you would say are representative of this question? I know we list some of them in the report, but. Yeah, but I mean, you know, your typical like uh, Microsoft's SCCM, which we, when we talk about volume five later, we'll, we'll talk about the velocity around, around that, right? And that matters quite a bit. Um, or it can be, you know, more of the traditional tools. It could be big fix. It could be, um, you know, there was uh, stuff from Tanium and all of these other uh, uh sets of tools that are basically around managing assets and updates and patches, right? So um, anytime you can automate that process and there's a lot of knowns around, basically your, your assets are under management versus not under management is how you could look at it. Special shout out to Jamf, by the way, because they have awesome stickers. They have a Space Jamf sticker. I saw it a couple years ago. That, that was awesome. I mean... Their sticker game is on point, so I just want to call that out. Credit where it's due. <laughs> anyway, um, so ultimately, I mean, it matters, right? You you want to have some form of automated management tool, and again, the things that exist out there do seem to provide uh, uh, s- strong value overall. I mean, relatively, right? Yep, for sure. Yeah, that, and again, this was one that made complete sense. There was no no surprise whatsoever in the. That I would I would have been shocked if it was any different at all. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I mean, that kind of sums everything up. I just wanted to go over with everyone else. So um, if you stayed this long and you wanted to cheat her on what mattered and what didn't, you can actually jump to figure 29 at the end of the report. And it just kind of lays out all the correlations and how strong they were across all of these metrics. So um, if you want to cheat her and don't want to listen to this whole thing, which is already too late if you did, haha, um, you can just jump to the end of the report and look at figure 29. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, Ben, any uh, final words before we jump off? Ken is great. Pay them more money so they can pay us more money. And (laughs) your program will be better, right? Look at that. The survey says Ken is good. Wow. Family feud style. Yeah, this is awesome. I mean, we so just so everyone knows, uh, Ben is uh, interviewing for a sales position at Kenneth Security. No, I'm just joking. But you know. uh, we still got to talk about those commission rates. But uh, yeah, yeah maybe. terrible. <laughs> Ed, anything from you? Uh, no, I mean, we covered uh, a ton here. Uh, it was really interesting. I will say o- overall, I went in a little bit skeptical into yeah. this one uh, because I tend to be, say, we talked a little bit about the, the squishiness of surveys and how people felt about things didn't all, often line up with the real world. But it was it turned out to be really cool in the, how we could actually correlate and see if these things actually lined up with a lot of those observable metrics and it was definitely something I hadn't been involved in before. And I, I was really kind of would like to actually maybe even do this again sometime. <laughs> hey, Ben, we're going to hit you up. Some new surveys coming soon. Uh, <laughs> new surveys. I'm, I'm always yeah. done. No, I, I thought it was interesting as well. And just to tie things up, right. I, I think Asking these questions and seeing kind of the correlation um, made us really think harder about some of the results that we were finding through the course of the research series and what are the reasons for that. And then when we, you know, some of the stuff that was less intuitive, I think we've kind of taken that back into like conversations with our customers and they're starting to make a lot of sense actually when we know the right questions to ask and why, right? Um, they start to actually map out um, the way that 
well, we've come to expect with this research series now, um, which I think is pretty cool. But um, I think that about wraps it up. Again, you know, you can check out all the resources for P2P Volume 4 and everything else on kennaresearch.com slash podcast. Um, and then keep an eye out for P2P Volume 5 podcast coming soon. I'm trying to get through all these because we have six coming out this year. And if it's anything like the rest of 2020, it should be a flaming dumpster fire. So, <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. In a in the best way possible. I'm not holding my breath for anything crazy. But we'll do a PCA analysis on it just to be sure. Right. It'll be fun. <laughs> Throw yeah. it in there. Just correlate. Overall, 2020 would not date again. Anyway, um, <laughs> thanks everyone for joining us. And uh, Ben, Ed, Count Dr- Bellis, have a nice day. Always Thank pleasant. You. Thanks, guys.